When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Con Report wherever you get your podcast. You're watching on YouTube. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media. That's A M P I R E. Always much appreciated when you tune in. Today, I'm joined by Kentucky offensive coordinator Liam Cohen, who coached running back Chris Rodriguez during the 2021 season and knows him very well. He also spent time coaching with the Los Angeles Rams, so he has a good feel for what an NFL running back needs to do and what they what what they look like. So that's why I wanted to bring him on, and he has some really good insight into Rodriguez and again, he knows the NFL and he knows Rodriguez. So I wanted to bring you that insight from him. Before I get to my interview with, with Liam, I just want to give you a couple updates on a couple of things, as always. So let's start with the, the big one for next week. The owners are meeting in Minnesota. We were told on Thursday that there will be no vote on the commander's sale next week. Now, you shouldn't be surprised by that. I told you that it was unlikely that they would vote, and but it was one of those you never know. Well, today in a conference call with the NFL, we were told no vote next week. Again, for those who wonder why does it take so long, and I'm just going to say it again, it's not just that they have to vet Josh Harris, whom they would have vetted last year. They also have to, first of all, look at the offer because this is the most lucrative offer ever for, an, for a pro sports franchise. So this is they're they're kind of a new territory with some of these deals. But you also have to vet all all of the limited partners and there are at least a dozen of them. That's what's going to take so long. Listen, it took near it took about a month and a half at least or about a month and a half to get the Broncos from the agreement of the sale to the point where the NFL finance committee recommended to the owners that they approve the sale. And then it was another couple of weeks before the owners voted on it. So from the time that it was announced that they were, that the Broncos are going to be sold to the Walton family until the time the owners voted on it, it was two months. That just gives you a little bit of a timetable for what we're looking at here. I don't know if it'll take two months, but it's, it's, it certainly was never, it was certainly not going to be voted on this month. And I think once you once we hit a point where it was like late April, early May, and it wasn't at this point yet that you knew it would be unlikely that they would vote at this time. Anyway, so that's number one. Number two, another thing, and this goes back onto the field, the team, the Ravens and the commanders announced today on Thursday that they would be holding a joint practice up in Baltimore before their preseason game. So that means on August 15th and 16th, they'll be practicing together at the Ravens facility in Owings Mills, Maryland. 
This is a very necessary and welcome development for the commanders. Now, I know in the first year they had COVID, so you couldn't do anything. The second year was also impacted by COVID, so you couldn't do anything. Last year, I know that they had, that I thought they were going to do it last year because I had, based on my conversations, I knew that it was something that they were strongly looking at, but what, but it fell through. And the other problem is you can't have a joint practice in Ashburn. There's just, they don't have the facility to support another franchise. Now, in a few years, you could get there because, you know, before they build a stadium, they'll have probably a new practice practice facility somewhere, I would imagine, because you don't have to wait for the stadium to be built before you build a new practice facility. So that's another one. And I think this is very important because the way the NFL has gone with preseason games is that, first of all, you cut it down to three. Secondly, they don't play their starters very much anymore at all or their key players. So how do you get a good feel for what these guys can do? And you're not putting them in situations where you learn enough about them. And I think that I think that has been part of the reason this team has started slowly each of the first three years under Ron Rivera. You'd see certain players that would win a starting job out of camp that didn't warn it. Troy Apke a few years ago. Honest to God, folks, he actually looked okay in camp, but you can't tell enough in those training camp practices because if you're a smart player and you're defensive back, you're going to get a read on that offense and what they're doing to you so you can react because you've seen it so many times. That's not just true of Aki. That's true of anybody that's on that side of the ball. And, and it goes the other way around too. Like if you're a quarterback, you've seen the same defense all the time. You better start completing some of those throws against that look because you've seen it. So there are a lot of things that you just don't learn. This is a way to learn. I think you can go back to the to Dwayne Haskins when he the year that he was going to start, that they would have learned a lot more about where he was at and then his process had they been able to have these practices as well. And, and again, not just those guys, but those are it's a lot of guys, folks. There are a lot of guys that they could have learned about over the years. Uh, just by having these practices. And I will say for them, the good thing is that their defense is in a much better spot. You have an experienced defense under Jack Del Rio. They're, they're well-versed in his system, and it'll be the second year that they're going to play that zone match coverage. So you should, there's a lot of familiarity there. And in fact, um, well, I'll get to this in a minute, but that's, I think that's a big bonus. The offense is where you're going to need to work against somebody else just to get a stronger feel for where Sam Howell is at, for where Jacoby Brissett is at, for where the entire offense is at. So that's that's something there. Um, I also want to talk about training camp practices. And I think I told you, I think I'm pretty sure I told you about the impact of Eric Bieniemy and some of the ways they're adjusting to some of the things that he was asking them to do. And I had mentioned that training camp practice times. Well, it turns out that's just for the OTA practices and mini camp. The training camp practices will still stay first thing in the morning. So if you've been going to practice at nine o'clock in the past, my understanding is that's when they're going to be doing them again this year. At one point, it sounded like it might go there, but that was more just for mini camp and OTA practices. And the, the theory is get Sam Howell in the classroom, then get him out in the field and not just Sam, but for a new offense, get them in the meeting room, then get out to the field. But during training camp, they're going to go back to the way they've been doing it. And that would mean practice at 9 a.m. So that's another thing. Um, uh, they still have another move to make. Andrew Norwell, guard, is still on the roster. Not going to be on there for, for much longer. It's just a matter of the same thing 
when um, they released Chase Ruye, he's got to be cleared by the doctors first before they can make a move. So that's what the holdup is here, if in case you're wondering on that. Then finally, don't forget, uh, next week starts the OTA workouts on the field. We'll be able to get out there. In fact, I'm going to talk to Nikki Javala from the Washington Post for the Monday podcast, kind of talking a little bit about the owners' meetings, but a lot about what the OTA sessions mean, et cetera. So we're going to preview a little bit of that. But don't forget, they lost a week of training of OTA practices because of what they were fined last year. And then um, just for how they handled some practices, I guess the you know, NFLPA felt it was too too much contact, whatever. So they bottom line is they lose a few practices. I think I think because of that, typically with the mini camp, the mandatory mini camp, you they have, they'll schedule three days and then they'll probably only practice two. Well, this year I would anticipate them practicing all three. I think the feeling in the building is defensively they feel pretty good about where they're at because it is a veteran group. Now you will have a couple of young guys, Manuel Forbes, Quan Martin who are going to be integrated into this defense and key figures, of course. And then obviously um, Cody Barton, the linebacker they signed from Seattle, he'll also be a newcomer, but he's been there for now a few weeks. Uh, and you know he's a veteran, so it might be a little bit easier, but those are the guys that are going to have to adapt. The rest of the group is more of a veteran group and versed in this offense, so that's a good thing. It'll hurt the offense a little bit more because you need – this offense is going to need more time to get things going. That's why – those joint practices, to me, are a very crucial thing for this franchise this year. They need, folks, you know this, they need to get off to a fast start because if they don't, I don't know, man. It's it, not going to be pretty. So anyway, that's it for me. Let's get to my conversation with Kentucky offensive coordinator Liam Cohn talking about Washington Commanders running back Chris Rodriguez, Jr., did you know the largest ropes course in Zipline Park in the country is right here in the DMV? Located in the heart of Montgomery County, the Adventure Park at Sandy Spring combines climbing and ziplining to create an aerial obstacle course unlike any other. With challenges anywhere from 10 to 75 feet in the air, there is something for all skill levels. Looking for some family time or the perfect date night before football season starts? You can even climb and zip line under the stars. Would you rather keep your feet on the ground? Give axe throwing a try. With their projector systems, you can throw at traditional targets, play tic-tac-toe, connect four, or even hunt zombies. Listeners of this show can get $5 off any ticket by entering the code KIME23DC at checkout. That's KIME, K-E-I-M, 23DC. So there you have it, folks. Climbing, ziplining, axes, food, and bonfires right in your backyard. The weather is warming up, so it's the perfect time to head outside and join the adventure at www.theadventurepark.com. That's www.theadventurepark.com and enter promo code KIME23DC. William, you you were with... You were with Chris when he had a, in 2021, had a really, really good year. What is Washington getting in him as a running back? I mean, one of the toughest backs I've been around in terms of you hand him the football, you typically know you're going to get a, you're going to get four yards. You're, you're usually going to get an efficient run. 
when Chris has got the ball in his hands. Um, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfectly blocked. Um, he can make him miss in the backfield and, and gain a few yards. And once he gets a full head of steam going, uh, not a lot of ton of, not a ton of people want to tackle him in the open field. And um, he's got good hands, something, you know, something we didn't probably use as much of him catching the ball, but he does have good hands. And um, I think the more reps that he gets at pass pro, He's willing um, and is smart enough to be able to handle some of those things. Can't say enough good things about Chris. And I was going to ask you about the third down roll because these guys definitely believe he can develop there. So I want to get to that more in a minute. But as a runner, too, what are some of the attributes, too? Because it looks like just watching his games and having watched them, really good, decisive, one-cut runner. So what what is your take on what makes him effective in that way? You know, he wants to be downhill. You know, he, he likes to be downhill, getting downhill on duo, gap schemes, inside zone. He can run outside zone and mid zone um, because, like you mentioned, Johnny, is a one cut back. So a lot of the times, you know, you don't have to be the fastest outside zone runner as long as you're a one cut vertical guy. And um, that's where Chris wants to live. He wants to live downhill when in doubt. You know, we tried to hand him off inside tight zone and, and duo and he would make those work. You know, he made those plays work and he really liked to live in that world. And, um, but he can do some of the other stuff in terms of getting the ball in the perimeter. He's got enough speed to be able to do some of those things. So um, really everything's open for him. At what makes him effective inside? Because some guys may have some size, but they're not as strong inside. Why is he an effective inside zone runner? Man, he's, he can get, once he gets his, his shoulder square to the line of scrimmage, um, He's he's violent. I mean, people bounce off of him. I mean, it's not like he, guys at a small level are bouncing off of him. Right. I mean, these are some big dudes that are going to tackle him and try to attempt to make plays on him. And, um, you know, people don't want any part. It's just the way that he's built. I mean, I think he played around 220. I think he lost a couple pounds for pro day and for the workouts where he was about 216 and he was looking fast. So, um really just kind of the way he's built. He's a thick, strong kid that just doesn't, he has a lot of surface area, but he knows how to get skinny. You know, he does have to continue to be better at lowering his pads, especially when you get to the highest level of football. But, um, you know, once he gets those shoulder square, as I mentioned, you know, he's, he's difficult to tackle. I was going to ask you about that too, because one of the things I did notice was there sometimes he did get a little bit high going through the hole. So how did you guys work out with him on that? And and is that was that a point of emphasis for you guys with him? It was. Um, it was something that you know we continued to try to drill with him and get him underneath you know some sort of bar to where he has to stay low and do some of those drills. But ultimately, when you get out there, you're just you're kind of playing the position, right? I mean, there's only so much you can truly tell a running back. Right, right. Um, you know, it's the heart. It's one of those positions that you want to teach where the hole is, what's the intent of the play, but then they're just kind of being creative. It's such a creative position that you don't want to take that creativity away from some of those backs. So um, that's just something that I think, you know, he's learned throughout, I think, the years of taking some unnecessary hits of being too high. Hopefully, as he continues to grow and see some of the guys, the linebackers and safeties that are at the NFL level, that he'll continue to you know be conscious of really trying to lower his pad level. 
So your time with him was kind of sandwiched between two stints with the Rams. Yep. So what did you learn, uh, you know, in your first time with the Rams that maybe you saw, you know, I don't know that you could help him with or advice you could give him for the next level or things that you saw in him that translate well to the next level? Yeah, there was, you know, when I first got to Kentucky, obviously being with Todd Gurley for a number of years, right. um, you know, the thing that made Todd, obviously, he was so special with the ball in his hands. But what I constantly, you know, was challenging Chris when I first got here was how detailed can you be without the ball in your hands? Okay. So when it comes to pass protection and being dialed into your responsibility and then, all right, we are in a six-man protection, your responsibility doesn't come out. How fast can we then get out into your, you know, to your route and get to the right spot? Because whether you, how you fit in the route progression, how you fit into terms of dispersing the coverage underneath. And also you could get, you could get a catch. Right. So just trying to continue to do those things and really rep as much as we can. Six man pro. Okay. Your responsibility doesn't come. How fast and detailed can we get out in the route running portion of the program to be able to be more detailed? That was something that Todd took extreme pride and ownership of. And um, so just trying to continue to coach him up and help hope evolve his game as all right. Hey, Chris, I know you're detailed and strong with the ball in your hands, how detailed can you be without the ball in your hands? And how did you see him progress in that? Were there times, like, were there moments we saw, oh, he's getting it? Did you see that? Totally. Um, you know, two years before I got here in their pass protection rules, a lot of the times he wasn't getting out. Okay. He was just kind of hanging in there, being a you know a sideboard for the O-line. And that's not really the NFL way. I mean, if your protection doesn't come, you get out. Right. Um, it took him a little while just because it was different for him. But as he grew and as he got better at it, you could see the comfort level start to rise. And then last year, uh, the guys around here said he became much more detailed and responsible when it came to some of those situations. How about as a runner? Were there some games that stood out to you that just like that you look back and say, that's the game that really kind of highlights him? Um, Tennessee in 21, I thought he just was a man on a mission. Um, he had come off of L in LSU as well. Tennessee and LSU were two games. If you go back to the LSU game, you know, we were, you know, four and oh, I think going to play LSU, we, we ran for about like 340 yards in that game. And he was really, um, you could see some of the diversity in his run, in his game. We were running a lot of mid and wide zone, some, some duo, and you really saw him just take over the football game. And then again, to Tennessee, came off of a tough game against Mississippi State, had a fumble. Maybe I think he had a fumble or two. Just he didn't have a great game. He was coming off injury. And against Tennessee, man, he was just a man on a mission. And um, people were bouncing off of him, unblocked in the hole. So you could see really who he is in a few of those games. And when you look at that, like that Tennessee game, when a guy gets like that, is there usually a play where you just say, oh, he's locked in? And do you the remember first play of the game? Really? The first play of the game, we lined up against Tennessee and 12 personnel tight end wing, and we ran duo downhill. And Wondell Robinson just got a piece, kind of a piece, but we didn't block the Mike linebacker. Wondell got a piece of the safety. He makes the mic, you know, he just bound the mic, just bounces off of him right in the hole. And he gained, I think, 10 yards on the first play of the game. And Right there, I was like, all right, this kid, he's he's on one right now. So we just tried to feed him throughout the game. And 
it was a back and forth type of game and 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 he made his presence felt for sure. So I don't know you weren't there last year. And I know last year he had the DUI, he had the suspension. Yeah, yeah I know you weren't there for that so you can't really speak to that, but mm-hmm. you do know who he is and he's a two-time yeah. captain as well. Yep. So what kind of a kid is he? To me the suspension thing, I mean there was some guys that were involved in that and all that and it was just one of those things that uh, he got caught up in. I don't know if he was truly the ringleader of it, but I think he got caught up in it and could have made a better decision. And to me, the DUI, that's out of character. Right. Okay. That's not Chris Rodriguez. It's not the character person that I know. I think it was a poor mistake. And those mistakes compounded towards the end of last spring. And it was very unfortunate to see, but that's not Chris. He's not a bad kid. He's a great kid um, who just wants to help his team win, but he's also a college kid, right? He's a yeah. kid that makes mistakes and just like all of us have. And, but that is not, uh, I've never once had an issue with Chris Rodriguez's character, the type of kid that he is, the competitor that he is, um, just recently lost his mother a couple right. months ago. And I went through the same thing in college and, um, just a tough, tough situation for anybody, but especially um, somebody who is so close to his family and to his mother specifically. So, um, you know, I think that when your mom's sick, what she was right, typically make, you know, might make some poor decisions. I know I did myself. So um, that's just one of those things that I believe in Chris as a person and in his character. And he's, like I said, two time captain, too. Yeah. So that yeah. I mean, the guys must think highly of him especially for somebody who really doesn't say much. Mm. He was a two-time captain and a kid that doesn't really rah-rah. He's not a, you know, overly vocal guy in the locker room, out at practice. He's not that guy. He's just, he's a captain because of the way that he works, the way that he prepares and the way that he competes. And then going back to the third down stuff, because again, I know like in talking to people here, they and I know you know I know it's funny because in college if a guy doesn't do it they say oh he can't do it but the right. reality is he was a featured back yes so you're not always going to have your featured back catching passes so totally. what did you see you kind of touched on it earlier but what else did you see in him that could say like he could be a three down back or at least fill this role if he needs to yeah I mean there was some some moments in training camp in 2021 where we had him on free release wheel routes and he's catching the ball off his body and behind him and over the shoulder. Um, He's got the hands. Um, But as you said, John, we actually tried to get him off the field on third down sometimes just because he was carrying the load. He was straight carrying the load. And we had a couple fresh guys that could come in on some third down situations to be able to pass pro and get out on routes. It wasn't that we were taking him off the field for any real specific reason. It was just to get him a blow um, he can handle all that stuff. I mean, he's physical enough to be able to block those guys at the second level and pass protection. Um, he's sturdy at the point of contact. And once he truly gets down um, Washington's pass pro system, uh, which should have some similarities to what he's been in over the last few years here, um, you could definitely, I could definitely see him being a guy that's an all three down back. They also talked about like his, they one area they felt like that, you know, he'd have to work on would be the route running. Where was he with, and only because again, inexperienced, and they feel like, oh, that's something you can coach up. So, where was mm-hmm. he with that? Um, I think we didn't probably ask our backs to do 
a ton. You know, we weren't asking them to really free release and run choice routes and option routes underneath. That just wasn't really, if we were running choice or option, we were doing it with Wandell Robinson. Right. And so when you're just talking about personnel and scheme and all that, we just weren't really scheming up a ton of free release things for the backs. Um, they were involved in the screen game and some checkdowns, things like that, but we weren't really heavily involved in the backs in our pass game at the time. Um, yeah, so I think that that's absolutely something he can get better at. He can learn and um, something for those guys in Washington to really be able to hone in on in detail with him. Because the other guy that he's going to be competing with here are guys with Antonio Gibson, who he, he was in the same hometown, and then Brian Robinson, who you would have seen at Alabama. Yep. And it's funny because I saw this stat that the th there was like the top three guys for Yak since 2020 in the SEC were Chris, Isaiah Spiller, and Brian Robinson. And yep. Chris was at the top. So, oh. you know, he certainly has – is that where that – I guess that's that power. Oh, man, he's – he just doesn't get tackled. You know, it's one of those things. It's hard to, to see even in practice. Like when I first got here, I'd see him in practice and I'm like, is this really kind of the guy, you know, I mean, this is the guy. Well, in practice, they're not getting tackled. Right. So it's so hard to evaluate running right. backs when you're not live. And so I'd watch him and I'm watching him go throughout and then, and I'm like, okay, yeah, he's a good player. It seems that you can tell maybe he's got it in him. And then, but we would go to scrimmage and go to games and it was a totally different movie. He was a kid that just nobody wanted to tackle. And also he gets better as the game goes. But just a couple of minutes here, but one thing, cause you, you do have that NFL experience and that background or in, in the experience. So he goes in the sixth round. What do you think that other teams may have said would have, you know, la caused him to last until that round? Because again, he does have some credentials behind him. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There were so many backs. I mean, nobody's really the running back landscape right. in the NFL is changing yeah. and they're not putting as much money in, in stock in the backs just because of the shelf life in some right. ways and how violent the position is. And um, I don't know if it was anything necessarily he did or didn't do to put him in that spot. I mean, um, maybe they don't see the flash and the make you miss and the spin moves and the juke moves as much, but um, I had a lot of teams call me, you know, about Chris and had a lot of interest in Chris and ended up going to Washington, which seems like it's a perfect fit. So, and last thing, you know, Sean McVay was here for a while, as you know. And so what yeah. was it, what's it like coach, coaching with Sean? And it's been a while since I've been around him yeah. on a full-time basis, but I always enjoy, I always enjoyed Sean. No, he's as charismatic as he gets. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's so infectious as a person, um, you know, when you, when I first got to LA and he's in his second year as a head coach of the Rams, all you did was find yourself just like this locked into whatever he's saying, you know, and you just believe in him. He makes the entire organization better. Um, you know, he's just so confident, so positive the way that he leads. I mean, it was the first time really I was coaching for, you know, 10 years roughly before I came to Los Angeles and, it was like the first time in coaching I'd heard my boss come up to me and say, Hey man, doing a great job. Mm. And I was an assistant receivers coach, just drawing pictures. Right. And um, not having a huge impact at, at early on in my career there. And you're just trying to do your best. And Sean would go out of his way to make sure that every single person in the building felt 
like they were contributing to the success of the organization, whether that was, um, you know, people that were refilling the coffee, chefs, anybody in the building, Sean appreciated and respected, knew their names. That was something he learned from his dad and um, just couldn't say enough good things about Sean. Yeah, no, I I miss him. I I was with him when he was a 23-year-old assistant tight ends coach. So I knew him. I knew him when he was, I'd say this high, but like he was, you know, but he was, you could tell back then, like this guy's yeah. going to go somewhere. Last thing. And I know yeah. you weren't the offensive coordinator there last year, but in looking, I don't know if you went back and watched the film, but these guys drafted Emmanuel Forbes who had that crazy interception return for a touchdown against Kentucky. Did you, did you happen to go back and watch that play by the, any chance? Mississippi State, Mississippi State, Mississippi play State on the, yeah, on the screen. screen. Yeah, yeah, that was Unbelievable play. Um, I had a lot of respect for him two years ago when we played Mississippi State in 21. Um, he was all over the field. You know, you just – he was somebody that we weren't – it wasn't like we they were playing so much zone and cloud that you were um, not saying, well, we didn't want to throw at him because you had no choice based on some of the you right. know, coverages they were playing. Um, he's got a great – it seems like he's got a great sense for the football, great feel for the game long arms type of kid that can tackle and make plays. I mean, I really respected him. That was a huge play in the game. Almost lost them that game yeah. last year. So uh, I have a ton of respect you for don't him see that. the program. You don't see that very often where a guy picks one like that. Not in that situation either. No. I mean, it was like they were kind of in four minute almost trying to just close out the game. I think they were in third and long or whatever it was and try to just whip a screen out there. You're thinking it's a safe call, I'm assuming. <laughs> You know, and then the kid just jumps it and makes a great play and changes the out and potentially changes the outcome of the game. Did you guys try to run at him because of his size? A little bit, but you know, I think um they played a lot of cloud and they had you know, when they moved him around a little bit. And um, you know, I don't know if we thought of it in the game plan to run at him. I know we were trying to run more outside to the edges a little bit against Mississippi state, just the way that they were structurally built inside with all the movement and twists and, you know, safeties dropping down in from deep. So um, it it was one of those things we didn't probably truly scheme it that way, but it might've ended up that way. And the only reason to ask, cause he is a skinny, he's skinny. Everybody talks about that, but it seems like he does it pretty well, handles that stuff well, that I'm just curious if anybody targeted him or not. And if not, it's just, you know, if you, if you think it's a major weakness, you, Mm, you you have to, but I didn't see it as a major weakness okay. you know right, cool. I, I definitely i respect his game and think he could be a fo- you know he's gonna be a really good football player liam i appreciate your time man very very thank helpful you. thank you appreciate it john thanks that's it for this episode i'll be back on sunday night slash monday morning with nikki javala from the washington post Again, taking a look at the OTA sessions that'll be starting next week, and we'll talk a little bit about the owner ownership situation, the owners' meetings coming up next week. But I don't know how much there's going to be to add there. We'll talk a little bit about that. We're going to try and talk a lot about the OTA sessions. How important is it to this franchise? Who are some guys we're going to be watching, etc. Anyway, that's it for me. I'll talk to you next time.